Hello, Marketeers. Welcome to another episode of AEC Marketeer Podcast, exploring AEC marketing and beyond. I'm your host, Keelan Cox, and I'll be exploring marketing trends and answering your most pressing questions to help you thrive as an AEC Marketeer. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Marketeers. Today, I have on Mark Wainwright. Mark is a founder and principal of Wainwright Insight, a sales consultancy to professional services firms. Leveraging his 20 years of sales and marketing experience, Mark offers fractional sales management to firms who sell their expertise. He bills himself as a part-time sales manager to part-time salespeople like architects, advisors, engineers, analysts, and other consultants who are skilled at their craft but often lack the organization and sales acumen that firms and individuals need to win new work and grow their practice. Welcome, Mark. Hi, Keelan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. Uh, This is fun. Before we dig into what I brought you on here for, which is account development planning, I'm curious how you got started in this industry. What's your story? Yes, the story. Well, it's, I think, over 20 years old at this point. I first started working with architects in an architecture firm back in 2002. So that's 20 years ago. And for a number of years, I was marketing manager, marketing director at architecture firms. I left the architecture and engineering and construction industry and went and did some management consulting. And that's really where I started practicing more selling because architects and engineers don't really refer to selling and sales. They don't use that term a whole lot. You hear marketing, you hear business development. Right. But I did that for about six years or so. And then I guess coming up on six years ago, I started this practice. Like you said, I'm a part-time sales manager to part-time salespeople. And Mm -hmm. I just found that practitioners, architects, engineers, all those folks just needed someone to come alongside them and help and guide and provide that little bit of sales expertise, because ultimately those are the people that need to be working directly with their their customers, their clients, and really what they need is just a helping hand. So that's sort of my abbreviated backstory and kind of why I do what I do now. Perfect. So you sort of touched on this since AEC firms don't use the word sales much. What is the difference between marketing BD and sales? Right. We could, I think we could spend the whole time on this. So I don't, <laughs> yeah, it's in, 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 I think everybody has opinions and sales is a little bit of a polarizing word. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's frankly, one of the reasons why a lot of individuals sort of in professional services don't use the word sales. I think we're working right. through this, this decades old hangover around that world where we have these visions of, you know, sleazy, pushy used car salesmen or whatever else. Right. Um, but I, I think that's over and it's over really bet- because of two main reasons. Sales has changed because of the ubiquitous information out there we have available to us on, you know, the, the internet or or anywhere else beyond that. And also the options and the ability to choose has exploded as well. So with a ton of information and so many choices out there, you can't be pushy and deceptive and and tricky in sales because people will just, they know a lot and they'll just choose someone else to work with. Right. So that's not an option for us. So really what sales has transitioned to now is just uh, 
being extremely helpful because frankly, as a buyer, it's very hard to navigate all of the information and all of the choices. So sure. uh, we're left with the option of really being helpers and guides in sales. Awesome. So anyway, I didn't answer your original question. So the differences in sales, I refer to sales and marketing this way, simply. Marketing activities are typically one-to-many activities. Sales are more one-to-one -one activities. Mm -hmm. David Meister, who wrote the book, Managing the Professional Service Firm, which is 30 years old, but still a great, a great read, refers to marketing as broadcasting and sales as courting, which sounds, it's kind of an old term. It's kind of a funny term. He's Sorry. British. It's, it's, it's fine. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a funny one, but nevertheless, you can kind of see the differences there. And I, I'm not quite sure that, that a lot of people look at it the same way. I think what happens in many professional services firms is that there's just this big pile of stuff that marketing slash BD people, and, and the firms differentiate between those two, but a lot of times they find themselves in the same place, in the same room, doing similar tasks. And mm -hmm. there's just a whole bunch of things that those folks have to, to tackle on a day in, day out basis. And it's a tough job. So... You know, that's that's kind of how I differentiate between the two. And I think sales is a little bit different. I think there's a number of different sales activities that that can be undertaken, like our topic today, aren't frequently practiced by both marketers and business developers in professional services firms. Okay. So I'm familiar with marketing plans, hmm. but what kind of planning happens with sales? Right. I, and, and I think when I talk about sales planning, most people have no idea what I'm talking about because they think, well, sales is just shooting from the hip, right? You just show mm -hmm. up and you close the deal. So there's no planning really needed. But I think the opposite is 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 true. There's a, a few different types of sales planning that I that I focus on all the way from call plans, which are these little plans, short plans, brief plans on on what are your goals? What questions to ask? What what brief client success stories are you going to tell um, right. in these little micro one to one interactions and conversations when you're preparing for an important high stakes call or or meeting uh, call plans are are really helpful and and preparing for those gives you more confidence to be um, successful pursuit plans are pretty typical i think firms you know successful firms use pursuit plans and what we'll talk about today is account development plans are focusing on on growing particular client accounts and another type of planning is sort of that larger sort of market planning which i also think firms are a little more familiar with so in those in those four types of of planning efforts. I think a lot of professional firms are probably more familiar with two of them, pursuit yeah. plans and larger market plans, and less so with call plans and account development plans. Yeah. So that is true, <laughs> essentially, yeah. because I've heard of account planning, mm -hmm. but I don't think I've ever heard of an account development plan. So what is it and why is it important? Right. The big why with account development plans is to grow revenue and trust with your most important client accounts, which okay. all seems really intuitive, really straightforward. And absolutely, we are all doing this all the time. 
but I think there's many reasons why it doesn't happen. One of the funny ones is that, you know, firms kind of have this sort of grass is greener thing. Well, they'll move to new clients, which are potentially more appealing, new work, different types of work, and they'll neglect important relationships they have with existing clients. They'll make assumptions that those clients are just always sort of going to be there. Right. And they don't take the time to pause in their busy days. Everybody's very busy. They don't take the time to pause and reflect on who their most important client accounts are and how they can, like I said, grow revenue and trust with them and develop these long-term mutually beneficial relationships. Right. So I'd assume in this case that for account development plans, you wouldn't just do a shotgun approach and do this for all of your accounts. So which clients are worth planning around? How do you figure that out? It's a it's a great question. And I think there's there's no one answer. There's a number of criteria and you probably just need to put a number of your clients into sort of a decision matrix. Mm -hmm. uh, a number of the criteria that you could consider are obviously revenue. What's their current revenue? What's the growth potential of revenue? If, if you're working with a, a particular client and the vast majority of their spend, their share of wallet that they spend on all their consultants, say it's an architecture firm, if just about all of their architectural consulting spend is with you, the ability to grow that is limited, right? So you'd maybe score that a certain way in your list of criteria. But if you're working with a, a larger client account and you only have a small share of wallet uh, with them, then there's clearly opportunity to grow. Right. There's other criteria like strategic alignment. You know, are they headed in the right direction or are both of you growing in the same direction? Are you doing the type of work together that you're both into that aligns with your values and 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 your future, you know, where you want your firms to be together? Are there a lot of relationships within those firms that are there people that you know? Are there a bunch of people that you don't know? Can you grow the number of relationships and the connections that you have there, you know, where you can start to bring in new team members on your end and new team members on their end so you can grow over time. And, you know, one of the other things is, you know, are they really willing to kind of play ball? Do they want to participate? Do they want to engage with you throughout this effort? Because these account development plans are not done just inside your four walls, you know, where right. you and your team come up with a grand plan. Almost from the get-go, they, they require deep and consistent interaction with your clients and partners. That's so easy to forget too, that it's not just, you know, your internal team meeting quarterly, like they do have to go out and see what's going on with the client. Right. So when they are reaching out, what are some good questions to be asking your client during this process? Right. Well, there's a number of logical conversations that happen throughout these plans and some of the earlier conversations are not what people would think. I think a, a lot of professionals will think, okay, so the first conversation I'm going to have with my existing client is, okay, what's our next project? Right. Mm. So, so, but that's, that comes at the end. Right. And, and that's, that not, that's not necessarily intuitive because you want to think, oh, we just want to we'll figure out what the next project is and get working on that. But really, I think one of the early conversations is if there were any issues, if, you know, this is the elephant in the room, this is the skeletons in closets, you know, any type of project that has any level of 
complexity will have problems arise. And one of the early conversations is, you know, are there any existing problems or did anything come up during the course of our work together and how was it resolved? Or if it wasn't resolved, how can we resolve it now? I don't think that people really recognize what a barrier that puts in place, you know, when you run up against a problem and it's not really solved, you know, it's not, it's not not reconciled. So it's a big deal. So I think that's some of the earlier conversations. Subsequent conversations after that, once you've kind of moved through that can be things like preferences and priorities. It can be, look, when you work with consultants like us, what do you like? What don't you like, you know, and what types of behaviors are really, really important to you and which ones less so? So there's that, just trying to understand their likes, dislikes, preferences. And then obviously, you know, some of the other questions have to do with their big goals, their big plans. What are their current organizational challenges? What has changed for them over the last year or two years or so? Is taking their firm in a particular direction? What do they want to achieve? those types of things. And then once you've kind of moved through a lot of those conversations, I think you're going to finally start to get to the questions that are, okay, having rectified any kind of issues or challenges we had, having understood what challenges your organization has, what opportunities you're you're chasing after, what what goals you have, let's talk about what projects would be best suited for us to work on together. Perfect. And I like the phrasing that you use there, consultants like us, because I feel like going to a client and saying, what don't you like about us? I don't think you'd get an honest answer because, you know, clients are people too. That should be like a bumper sticker. And they're not going to want to tell you, you know, what's great and maybe not what's great. They want to tell you what's great, but they, I don't think they openly tell you what's wrong if it's not something major. But if you phrase it that way of like consultants like us as a collective, you'll probably get much better insight. I really like that point. I think there's a greater opportunity to have a good conversation when we're not pointing fingers, naming names. A lot of times I think we get caught up in the, oh, that client selected that other firm to do this work. And you make a ton of assumptions about why that happened and the characteristics Mm -hmm. of that firm and their work experience and everything else. And we get into this name game thing and it's not productive. You know, what's most productive is understanding the characteristics and qualities of your competition and why they may or may not be better for a particular client or not. That's most important. Rather than just naming firm A or firm B or individuals that work at certain firms, we need to get past all of that and really talk about, you know, what characteristics and qualities did they present that the client really felt was beneficial or maybe not so. Right. And you touched on this a little bit, but are there any other common pitfalls that you see with the account development process or account planning process? Right. It's so, so easy to kind of stub your toe. The first one that we talked about is just doing it in-house and not having conversations with the client or partners that you worked with during the course of a project. Those folks you can kind of bring into this planning process as well. And like I said, we can easily ignore past issues. Just, Mm. oh, look, we don't, we don't want to, you know, the skeletons in the closet, we just want to kind of leave them there. Right. And uh, we don't want to rush too far ahead. I think the way that we're really going to build trust 
is through that sequence of conversations that I mentioned in the, the project conversation, what's next is going to come last. I think all too often when individuals are doing outreach to either current clients or new clients, the first few words out of their mouth are, hey, you got any new projects, got any new work? And that has to wait until we've really developed that depth of understanding and that sort of sense of mutual trust. Yeah. I really like that you pointed out here that you do have to deal with the past because I, one of the common things that I hear in account planning and even, you know, on the pursuit side is, oh, we messed up that project, but it's a different project manager. So they're going to know the difference when in reality, it's like, well, you know, you're still the same firm. And if you haven't dealt with it, it's going to carry over into whatever new work you're doing. Like if I hire a plumber and they do a crap job, I'm not going to say like, oh, this is a new plumber. We get to start fresh. It's like, no, it's your company. So I really like that you pointed that out because that's something I hear all the time. So with this process, obviously you want to be successful. So how do you know that you have been successful? Like what are your measures for success? Any planning effort needs to have good metrics. You need to understand where you are now and where you want to be in the future. And it doesn't have to be grandiose or complex. I think these plans benefit from having a pretty straightforward set of metrics and they'll vary, but some metrics can be the same from plan to plan, from client to client. You know, coming to an understanding of what their annual spend is on firms like yours and increasing that percentage, that share of wallet that I mentioned earlier. How many people at that firm are you connected to and how many more people do you want to be connected to? If three folks at, at your firm are connected to four at their firm and there's probably 20 or so that you could meet and there's some additional team members of yours that you could bring along, just count that, you know, and you can count those relationships also sort of from a quantity and also sort of a quantity aspect. How many really true advocates do you have at that client? How many right. of them are willing to introduce you to other professionals, other firms? How many of them pick up the phone and just call you and say, hey, we've got something to work on with you? Yeah. Um, so I think that's that's important as well. You know, geographic expansion. If you're working with one office and the client has two or three or four, you know, have we expanded to that office? Do we now have a project with that office? Revenue is fairly obvious. It's in the ebb and flow of project work. It can be sometimes difficult to set specific revenue targets where it's not this sort of reoccurring revenue model. But you can. You can take a stab at it. You know, you can say, look, we want to increase our revenue by 25% or 50% with this particular client account. I think that's a legitimate legitimate metric. What would be the time frame for these metrics? I mean, I'm sure it varies firm to firm, client to client, but if you're talking about like increasing revenue or getting, you know, a, a larger share of their wallet, like what would the average time frame be for this planning? Right. It seems you really can't start, particularly with revenue, you can't look at it in, in, in any term less than a year, I would say. Okay. Um, these activities aren't necessarily designed to last a full year. I, mm -hmm. I think I think where they're most effective is if they're designed to be sort of a spark of activity where right. you can lay out a, a series of activities, go and talk with a client about previous issues, preferences, priorities, 
then talk about new potential potential work. These plans can last a number of months and the results of them may not come to be after a year or more. But but yeah, that's I would imagine that you would probably want to undertake and understand that this is an important activity that involves a handful of people that work directly with that client. It's going to last some months and then hopefully the return that we see on this effort is going to be realized in a year or a year and a half or whatever it is. Sure. Yeah. So it's more of like a, an iterative process. Like yes. you do these few activities that you set out, regroup, and then move forward with them. Yes. Got it. Okay. All right. What are the benefits of a good account plan? So many, so, <laughs> so many. I'll lead this by saying that it is devastating when clients that I work with lose clients that they've you know, partnered with over a long period of time over something, you know, it could be trivial. Mm -hmm. It could be something really big, but either way it's devastating because you'd kind of turn your back on not only the work that was done, but that relationship. So it's devastating, but opportunity with existing client accounts close faster with less time and effort. So there's a, you know, it's called a cost of sale, right? Your cost of sale is lower with existing clients, right? Which is critical. That all contributes to firm profitability. And the more, you know, the more, you know, their nuances and how they operate, uh, you can be more profitable because you can anticipate some of those things that may happen over the course of a, of a project. They tell a better story because you're able to do this sort of daisy chaining of work from right. a simple project to something more complex to something bigger and you grow together and i think from even a marketing and kind of a narrative standpoint that's just a wonderful story to tell i would say most importantly if we don't take these existing client relationships seriously and create intentional plans and be really deliberate about growing them and fostering them is that we lose these opportunities to create these deep human connections and and i think that's just that's that's deep within all of us that these connections are really critical. And it's not just in our personal lives, it's also in our professional lives. So I think these long-term client relationships that are so worth tending to and spending time on are wonderful opportunities for us to create relationships. And those relationships that we develop between our firm and the client firm can move generation to generation. You know, the founders yeah. of the two firms who kind of grew together, their next generation can connect and the generation after that can connect. And I think it's a great way to grow your business. Yeah. I mean, to that point, this is a small industry and people do move around quite a bit. So making those human connections, if the person you're connected to goes to a new firm, you know, maybe you've lost that connection at that firm, but you have a whole new firm that has just opened up for you because of that human connection. That's a great point. So if our listeners would like to get in touch with you and learn more about this, because this is fascinating and I know we don't have enough time to cover everything that you possibly could about account development planning, where should I direct them? Thanks. I hopefully have a helpful website. It's wainwrightsinsight.com. The spelling of that can sometimes be a little tricky, but you'll find me if you look hard enough and we'll probably have it linked in, in the, the, the show notes. Look me up on LinkedIn. I try to be kind of a frequent flyer there and I try to be somewhat active on LinkedIn. And I have a specific blog post on my site in my insights area that's focused on account development plans. And we will link to that as well. 
Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me about this. This is a really valuable conversation. Thanks for having me, Keelan. All right, Marketeers, that is a wrap on this week's episode of the AEC Marketeer podcast. Thank you again to Mark for this conversation. And he has also provided an account development planning guide. I have a link to this in the episode show notes. So thank you again, Mark. I also have links to his blog posts about account development planning and a link to his LinkedIn profile and website. So as always, if you're enjoying this podcast, I would invite you to subscribe so that you never miss an episode. New episodes are released every other Wednesday. Chat soon.